Hi there. Please uh, continue to enjoy your lunch, but we do uh, want to get started with our program. So uh, I'm Rob Weatherald. I'm with Oracle. And before I go any further, I just want to take a moment to thank my co-chair, my current co-chairs on the program committee that are rolling off, Molly Ellingson with Herman Miller and Rich Wagner of AT&T. It's, it's been a lot of fun working with you. I thank you for your leadership and your partnership. I think we had a great year of programs. And I want to welcome my new co-chairs, Emma Cox with Cushman & Wakefield and Kurt Karnatz with ESD. So thank you. So on behalf of the entire program committee, I welcome you and thank you for joining us today. Before we get started with today's program, I'll take a minute just to uh, talk about some of the upcoming events that uh, Tony's already touched on. On April 13th, we'll have the program here at Maggiano's. And the, the program title is Omnichannel Retailing, Disrupted Logistics in the Rapidly Changing World of E-Commerce. Somebody repeat that back to me, please. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the speakers will address demands for how people want to shop in a rapidly changing world of e-commerce and how this impacts stores, supply chains, and every aspect of the real, real estate industry. Uh, one of our speakers had to cancel recently, so if you, knew, if you know of someone who might be interested and can participate in that particular topic, please let somebody on the program committee know. Thank you. Uh, for May... Please note that the program will be conducted on May the 18th, which is the third Thursday of the month, uh, not our regular second Thursday of the month. On May 18th, we will gather after working hours to tour Zurich's recently opened 784,000 square foot North American facilities in Schaumburg. So please uh, join us. Uh, also, please continue to check the Cornet Chicago website for additional details on these programs and updates on other programs. Today's program is being podcast and will be posted on the Coronet website. And a reminder that if you have your MCR, you can receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend. There's a sign-up sheet by the registration table. As always, we encourage your feedback at the end of the program, so please take time to fill out the surveys that will be distributed. Just a note that today the conference I.O. system is not being used. So someone will be in the audience, probably me, with a microphone if you have any questions you want to ask. Now, on to today's program. Many of you will recognize Julie Seitz, who is the Global Director, Workplace Strategy and Operations at the Coca-Cola Company. In 2014, Julie joined us here in Chicago to present the rollout of Coca-Cola's new workplace solution. She returns today to share with us end-user feedback and lessons learned from the past two years. Julie says her charge at Coca-Cola is to challenge long-held ideas about the role of the workplace in Coca-Cola's offices around the world. The headquarters renovation she has described as industry changing in corporate real estate circles, and it sets the stage for a new organization to manage workplace operations globally under Julie's leadership. Prior to Coca-Cola, Julie held roles in national food service, retail sales, franchise le leadership, Olympics general management, marketing commercialization, customer care, and building supply chains for new brands. Julie serves on the board of the Atlanta Beltline Partnership, is the chair of the Georgia Board of Youth Villages, is active with the Girl Scouts of Metro Atlanta, and is a graduate of the 2013 class of Leadership Atlanta. 
She was recently recognized among the Atlanta Business Chronicles 2015 Women Who Mean Business. And the Atlanta chapter of Cornette Global awarded her the Corporate Real Estate Executive of the Year honor in 2015. She's a proud graduate and an avid football fan of the national championship Clemson University. And we talked about that quite a bit at the speaker's dinner last night. Jeff Pitts, also a Clemson grad, joined, <laughs> joined Global Workplace Strategy and Operations at, at Coca-Cola as the Director of Workplace Strategy and Planning when the group was first formed in early 2016. He brought to this role over 30 years of corporate real estate experience that spans client relationship management, strategic planning, facilities and project management, transaction management, and architecture. Upon joining the team, Jeff held as his initial goal, developing a regionally focused and strategic approach to workplace planning, ensuring that real estate and workplace decisions align with larger business objectives and goals with a global lens. His role spans global responsibility for workplace strategy, client relationship management, and technology information services. Prior to Coca-Cola, Jeff worked at Carolina's healthcare system, Wells Fargo, and the Bank of America in many capacities. Jeff is a Six Sigma Greenbelt certified and serves as a member of AIA, and CARB and Cornet Global. He received his Bachelor of Science degree and Masters of Architecture from Clemson University. He currently volunteers with the Boy Scouts of America, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and inter international missions at his church. So please, well, please join me, excuse me, in welcoming Julie and Jeff. Can you hear me? Good. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off here. So funny. So it's funny. Jeff and I, yes, both went to Clemson. It was a pure coincidence when we were interviewing for several jobs last year to to grow our team, and Jeff surfaced as someone that we were really interested in. So I went to my boss's boss with his resume. I said, you know, I got somebody I want you to meet. I'm gonna bring him in here. I want you to meet him. He scans down. Clemson University, are you kidding me? You went to Clemson. No, 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 we're not hiring another Clemson person. You know, and I said, you know, so it was, it was a joke, but um, he said, okay, you get one Clemson hire, you better make it good. So actually just the only person I've ever hired from my alma mater, so it's just kind of funny we're, when we're both together in both the same school, but we're still, we're still basking in the sunlight of the national championship win. Um, so, it's great to see a few people that I know today, and thanks for having us back in Chicago and to talk about what we've been up to at Coca-Cola. Uh, we've been busy the last couple of years and um, have, have expanded our reach, and um, we'll thought I'd show you a little bit of progress of where we've come, and then Jeff's gonna talk about where we're trying to take this now globally. Um, and we've really been on a mission to, to really function as an entrepreneurial, almost startup culture within Coca-Cola. Um, you know, we're a 130-year-old company, and um, we serve more than 1.9 billion servings a day. Um, somewhere in the world, those are happening right now. We're in 207 countries, so a very broad reach and all countries but two, and uh, more than, than in the UN. And so uh, we've been logging a lot of air miles um, in the last year. 
we operate very locally. Um, so as Coca-Cola grew over the years, uh, businesses were started in, in various countries over the years, and, and people were given, general managers in these countries were given full reign, right? Go build your distribution si system, go build your team, figure out how you're gonna do marketing, um, get this business going, and so we've always had a very entrepreneurial culture all over the world, and real estate also has grown up this way where um, all of these, uh, you know, all of our markets around the world have been able to, for 130 years, made every real estate decision in a vacuum by themselves with absolutely no oversight. And so, um, not so, not so easy to come in to try to change all that, uh, which is what we're trying to do. So, um, and we and we've got a, a, a big, broad business. We think of us as Coca-Cola as in the red can, or maybe some of you are Diet Coke lovers or Coke Zero lovers, but we have $20 billion brands around the world. About 450 distinct brands um, as well, and so it is, it is ever-changing. Japan, we launch typically about 80 new brands a year just in Japan. I mean, so it is a fast-moving, um, agile business. We're trying to even be more agile than we've ever been, and we're all we're all being asked to to figure out how to move faster, innovate quicker. Uh, consumers' tastes continue to evolve, um, and every country is different. So it is it is quite a lot to keep up with. And then you kind of look at workspace, and this is where we've come from. Doesn't quite match that agile, exciting, launch 80 new brands a year sort of feeling, does it? And so this was a big, big order as we started this a few years ago. How do we, how do we really help people understand and, and what do we need to do so, so real estate and workplace can be a true catalyst to help, help this company grow at, new, at, new, um, at, at a fast pace? And um, so when we started this, you know, we really um, knew that we had to bring together some design principles. We had to decide who are we going to be, what are we going to try to do, and we very deliberately started at our world headquarters. We brought in a company called IDEO. Anybody know IDEO? We talked about that probably a little bit a couple years ago in the early days, brought them in really to look at, you know, as I say, open the hood of the car, look at what the good and the bad and the ugly is happening in our culture. And, and how could workplace really be a catalyst for change? And so some of these, you know, were our big design principles. And, and we had, um, as, as IDEO very eloquently called them, opportunity areas, which were essentially areas that needed fixing. And, um, and so these were the, these became what we uh, have, have measured everything by. So all of our, our design approach, our change management approach, everything has been grounded in these design principles. Um, and so, you know, we deliberately started with our world headquarters in Atlanta because we knew how do you go tell 207 countries what to do with their real estate if our own backyard is not what it ought to be? And that, that's a hard conversation. So we said we got we to gotta get our world headquarters um, in a place that um, really represents these design principles that our whole C-suite can look at it and say, wow, this is making a difference. We had our CFO say last year as we did a big engagement survey across the company, and she looked at all the finance 
uh, written comments. Probably you guys do big engagement surveys and people write in all these, all these writing comments and she said, you know, the change of what we've done around workplace was the number one most important engagement comment, most positive engagement comment on the survey. It is truly working, it's truly making a difference. And so, um, so as we, as we uh, moved along this journey, you know, we started back in 2012 and started doing some master planning of our headquarters and, um, you know, really moved pretty slowly. We didn't do this quickly. Um, and, you know, we did not have a lease event. We did not have any kind of other real estate event to put us on a hard timeline. We own our world headquarters. We own the land. We own the buildings. We own, you know, nothing, nothing's happening. We didn't, we didn't plan to shed a building. We didn't plan to do any of that. So therefore, that makes, that makes the timing a little more difficult, right? I mean, it, 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 and it's harder to get people to say, yeah, go fast, do this fast, because there's nothing, nothing that's um, making you do that. So selling in that environment and getting buy-in in that environment, I, I think is a little tougher. So um, we, we made a decision to go after all of our common spaces first. We have multiple buildings on a campus. Uh, 78 office floors on that campus across multiple buildings, 2.2 um, million square feet, and a lot of common space. All the buildings are connected to each other um, internally, and they were all very tired. They were built from 1966 to 86. Um, many of them, most of it had not been refreshed much, paint and carpet, maybe a little furniture along the way, but nothing, nothing of significance. And so we knew that if, uh, and I, me being a long-term Coke person, knew the culture well enough that we had to, we had to do this in a big way that people were going to say, "Wow, this is different. This is not just paint and carpet. They're serious this time. This is major change coming coming at me." And so, um, you know, in any construction company, you construction company folks here, right? Uh, if if somebody comes to you and says, we want to do all the common space and we want to, we want to do construction horizontally across buildings <laughs> instead of vertically, you think we, we kind of crazy. And, but we made that decision because we thought it was so important to cause major disruption, um, disrupt every employee so they understood what this was about and mess up their world. So how they, how they walked in from the garage, how they got food, everything was turned upside down on them. And we made them walk outside, and you guys would laugh in Chicago, but you know, uh, construction tunnels outside in the winter, they thought they were gonna freeze to death in Atlanta. You know, aren't you gonna put heaters in the construction tunnels? It's like, come on, people, get a coat, deal with it. But it, it really worked in terms of helping them understand um, what was happening, as well as it helped the buy-in with senior leadership because guess what? They had to do the same thing. They didn't get a hall pass. They had to walk in the tunnels. They didn't get hot food for a year. Um, they had to, you know, get see, you know, have construction dust coming out of vents. They had to, you know, all this stuff happening. Um, they were seeing it and experiencing it. And sometimes I think when we get in these. Um, you know, tall towers and these, these big stacks is that all our work can get hidden quickly. And if we're, we're hidden on some floors 
and it's not being experienced by everybody and it can kind of get put under the rug and not have the transformational um, effect. When you tell 5,000 people they're not gonna get hot food for a year, it's, it's, they pay attention. And they're like, wow, something's going on here and I guess I better, better understand what it is. And so, yeah, we had food trucks and, and cold sandwiches and cold salads for 12 months. And um, <laughs> funny story, the other thing that did was they said, wow, food trucks are kind of expensive. <laughs> and we said, hmm, gosh, we've been subsidizing food all these years and you didn't realize what it really cost to have lunch. Interesting how that happens. And so he had a little better appreciation when they came back or not when they came back, but when hot food came back, of, of uh, how much the company does really do for them in terms of food subsidy, which we do subsidize about 20, 25% on average of our food. Um, and so we went through this, and, and, and then by 2015, we completed all of our common spaces. So between 2013, 2015, we got them all done. We built seven, we tore out our big old school cafeteria. It makes me crawl every time I hear somebody say, well, the new cafeteria. It's like, no, it's not a cafeteria. We built seven distinct restaurants. Um, we've built three conference centers, a big video production studio to in-house all of our video production work. Um, we've built a medical center with two fully staffed doctors. We've built the CVS pharmacy inside. Um, in, in all new lobbies and all new green space that we completely dug out and rebuilt. And so it's dramatic. And, uh, and we've built some office floors since then as well. And then as this started happening, we were opening these spaces and seeing the impact of them. We quickly, we started getting some calls because Coca-Cola people tend to travel a lot around the world and said, wow, um, I had no idea we had people in the company that could do this kind of work. Could you come help us in Johannesburg? Could you come help us in Brussels? Could you come help us in Shanghai, wherever it might be? And we said, hmm, here's an opportunity. And quickly, quickly worked in 2015 to put together a business case to say, for the first time in the history of the Coca-Cola company, we need to um, pull together um, real estate planning from the highest strategic level all the way down through janitorial into one function and globalize this and, and do this the right way. And so we got that buy off, built the case, um, showed what we thought the savings might be. Some of it was guessing, I can absolutely tell you, some of it was guessing what we thought the value would be. Uh, we had to take some swags, didn't even really know what all our portfolio was. There's nobody in Coca-Cola in 2015 that could have told you, showed you a piece of paper what our real estate portfolio was. No idea. No idea. Not the value, not what the leases were, not how many properties, nothing. So we started from ground zero. Um, because all this has been managed by every leader in the world, in their home country, whatever they wanted to do. Um, so... Um, so I'll take you through a few pictures kind of from our, our headquarters and where we are, and then we'll, we'll keep on kind of tell you the story of where we are on this global journey and what we've done. Uh, we stood up a team on January 1st, 2016, so a year ago, um, hired about 15 new people as we did that, put a CRM model in place, a PMO in place, um, and so we've got about 100 um, Coca-Cola employees. We run a very... Um, 
tight vendor-led model. So all of those people are managing uh, vendor relationships. We, ha we have tight vendor governance processes we use with those vendors and what we expect from them. And so everything from whether we're managing food service and amenities to strategy and planning to, to capital projects. Um, we even manage all of our meeting and event work, conference center management, AV technology. Uh, so we've, we've got all that in, in a huge vendor-led vendor uh, model. So we're trying to be, we're trying to stay lean on the uh, Coca-Cola employee side organizationally. Um, and I think we're gonna get more pressure over time to get leaner and leaner and leaner. And, um, and, and that's gonna mean our expectations of you vendor partners out there is gonna rats, continue to ratchet up of what we all expect. I'm sure, I'm sure many of my peers here are seeing the same thing, right? We, we expect a lot of our vendor partners and, and that's, just gonna, that's just gonna grow. So um, we, you know, we had a lot of feedback from our employees that said we, you know, we don't have the right spaces, we don't have the right meeting spaces. This was a former a big tiered auditorium. And I can tell you we had some 20, 30, 30 and 35 year veterans that got very emotional about us ripping out this auditorium. So we ripped out the whole thing. Uh, we recaptured some new basement condition space for storage as we, we put steel in it and, and cut it in half and uh, you know, built, in, built the new flooring and got some new storage underneath it. And, um, and so, but it's been, it's been difficult of, of letting go of the past for some people um, and moving to a whole new place. We built a 550 seat flat hall that's far more flexible uh, than this ever was. We've, we've gone to um, you know, a model of certainly open space like most of you are doing, um, the democratization of sunlight, no offices on outside windows, and a plethora of huddle rooms and focus rooms. We're doing a one to 10 ratio on huddle and focus rooms. This is an example of one of our lounge huddles with big, bold graphics. We're really bringing our brand to life in every one of these. I, um, one person on our team I stole from global marketing and convinced him to come to the real estate side, so we have an in-house uh, brand marketer on our team as well. So that's our new 550 seat Hall. Um, it has a 42-foot nanolumens screen in it. We can uh, we can bring in live video from any Coke office in the world, or multiple of them at the same time. Um, highly used every day. Full production support. Uh, it rivals any um, big uh, conference center space in Atlanta. Uh, part of the purpose here is to stop our spending on the outside. And the, you know, the number of meetings that we have that we're spending big money uh, in hotels and conference centers externally was crazy. And so we have really uh, made a big dent in that and proven the savings um, by, by building the kind of space people want to have. And we've had several big meetings, five-day meetings that, that used to be on the outside that say, they say, we want to be here now. The food's great, the space is great, the production's great. Um, and, and so we've really conquered that. Um, another example of, of some of our, our flexible conference rooms, some have windows, some don't have windows. And um, you know, this is a space, this is in one of our buildings, um, really doing some, some fun open space. Uh, this is a, a kind of a, a 
lower key conference centers. We did two very more, I'd say, executive type big conference centers and one that the fit, fit and finish is a little lower down, which is this one, but it's super fun. People love it um, and, and used every day. Yeah, so the old back to the old world. And so people said, look, I need more ways to work away from my desk and better ways to work with my team. And of course, everybody's, everybody's got that. And so this is, uh, this is our global marketing space that we built. We have about 250 people in global marketing in Atlanta. And, um, you know, really, really super fun space, um, open ceiling, um, the big table there, places where they can spread out a lot of their work. Um, and do that together. And uh, we br brought the brand to life. The, the graphic on the right are Coke bottles that have kind of been made into this um, interesting pattern. We've worked very closely with our global marketing team on all the, all the branding, all the artwork, and, and how that comes to life. We, you know, not, not doing it all by ourselves. And um, this is, this is a, a break room. This is a new break room. And um, a you know, place people can come together. We did this white um, kind of backlit board with letters, and they can they play with the letters. They can put anything up any day they want to. Um, you know, of course, our lawyers are like, well, what if they put something, you know, strange up there? It's like, come on. I mean, people people like their jobs. They like working there. They're not going to put their jobs on the line by putting something crazy on the board. And they haven't. It. It's all fine. And. Um, but this was something our marketing folks wanted because they do a lot of sampling. They sample on each other. They test things with each other. And so having this bar, we're not doing this bar on every floor, but it was, it was something that we could do for a particular team. Um, the, the, the amount of space they got for the break area is the same as any other team's going to get, but we did something a little unique here on that, on that bar area. This was our old school cafeteria, the, the lovely Art Deco look from the um, probably early 80s uh, era. And uh, one cafeteria for 5,000 people. We do breakfast and lunch. We do about, oh, 1,800 breakfast a day and about 4,000 lunches a day. So it was a busy place, but it was not inspirational. And people said, you know, you know, get me excited about lunch. Do something that gets me excited um, to, to want to have lunch. And, and, and what was happening here, <laughs> we had, you know, buying tons of to-go boxes, everybody taking their lunch back to their desk because they didn't want to be here. And so that, from a culture standpoint, that's the last thing we wanted. People squirreled away in their cubicles or their office with their little containers of food alone. We want to bring people together, right? Food should do what? Just like today, what does food do? Brings people together. So we didn't, the space was turning, turning them away and um, not what we wanted to create. So here's one of our new um, dining, one of our new restaurants we brought to life, kind of the old, uh, uh, in a modern way, kind of the, when you've seen Coca-Cola painted on the side of a barn out in the countryside, kind of hearkening back to that. Um, but it's, it's um, people love it. Yeah, we love him. He's great. He's loving it. And um, so it is, it is the buzz of activity. People have said things like, I'm seeing people I didn't even know still worked here. I mean, that's, A, that's a little scary. B, that's what we wanted, right? We want people to come together. 
Um, this is a kind of a quiet nook we, we built in a, in a European bistro. So we have a, we have a European feel uh, mm -hmm. restaurant. We have an African feel restaurant. We have a Latin American feel restaurant, um, an Americana sort of grill, and a um, kind of a, a place called Mix that is custom-made salads and sandwiches and, and paninis and those kind of things. We even, our latest one, which is the African um, kind of feel, look and feel, which is mostly done with fabrics and textures, is called Yetu. And Yetu means ours in Swahili. So we picked an African word of what we named the, the cafe. And we put desk in the cafe. So part of the cafe has these, these are all sit to stand desk. Um, there's soft seating in the cafe. There's some typical, typical more cafe seating in the cafe as well. So you have a huge mixture of seating from, from lounge to hard tables to desk. And people are, it's open from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. You can get something to eat um, at any of, any of those times. We serve um, fabulous Ely ground coffee here and espressos and cappuccinos and all that. And, um, it is, it is well, uh, well used all day, every day. It's probably become one of the most popular spots. And then, you know, yeah, I love this, the outdoor space. So this is funny. So this was one of our buildings that had been, um, gosh, this building, um, was built in 66. It used to be a headquarters of one of our bottling partners. And so back in the day, this was a motor lobby. Um, where people come in, drop off people, because it, 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 it served that function. Well, over time, lots of different people in that building, it was no longer um, used as a headquarter receiving location. And so, so guess what security did? This, this can't, uh, you guys know security. Locked it up, right? Security loves that, right? The more, they love to lock stuff down because then they don't have to worry about anything happening. <laughs> So they locked this thing down, they put gates up, and oh my gosh, abandoned space. And one of the first things when we looked at this whole thing and started master planning, we're like, this is, we can do something with this. And so, um, yeah, so it's a new, we call it the terrace today. Um, just tore up all the concrete, and um, it's got a bubbling fountain, People, I love it. You got the, she's got her cord strung out there. The, the best story I had somebody tell me, a manager one day walked up to me. She says, I want you to know I held my performance reviews on the terrace. I was like, wow, that is huge. Huge. That never would have happened before. Of course, not in the locked space, but I mean, even outdoor, <laughs> outdoor anywhere, that would never would have happened. So big improvement. And then... This is our, this is a center of our campus. It's downtown Atlanta in the background. So our, our buildings come together into a green space. We have the largest private green space in downtown Atlanta, but we were not leveraging it. So it's two and a half acres. We dug the entire, it was this old, very formal, almost like an English garden. It kind of screamed, don't, don't walk on the grass. You might get in trouble. It, it was not um, anywhere. It's like your grandmother's living room with the plastic on the sofa. Don't come out here. Don't mess it up. You're going to get in trouble. That, that's what it screamed to you every day. So nobody went out there. And um, we kind of had to, you know, then, but then to go justify, it was perfectly good space, 
you know, on the surface. And so to go convince senior leadership, why are you going to tear up this? Well, um, the good news was we, we kind of came through the back door on that. Um, this is over our loading dock, believe it or not. So our load, our full load, the full loading dock for the entire campus is under this. And so the, the, you know, the depth of dirt uh, is, is very shallow. And so we got under there, started crawling around, and realized that all the weatherproofing from 30 years had eroded. We were starting getting major leaks, water leaks down in the basement. I said, what? Aha! This is the opportunity. If I can go make the case that the weatherproofing has to be fixed for another 30 years to get fix the weatherproofing, you got to do what? Take the grass up. Take the grass up. Would you ever put it back the same way? Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> and so we, even from a change man perspective, and this, you know, and 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 our, our people are always being asked to, you know, find cost savings, find productivity. You know, how can, how can, you know, do, you know, do more with less, right? That is our message in our company all the time. All right, if our employees walk by going, they're ripping out the grass, how does that look? Not so great. So we put up big banners, big banners as people walk by this area and explained about the weatherproofing. Explain that we have major infrastructure issues Below this, that must be addressed. We had no choice. So how you message this stuff and getting to the why is so important. And guess what? Nobody said, why are they ripping up the grass? It wasn't about the grass. It was about doing the right thing for the next 30 years, and we had, no, we had reached the point we had no choice. But then we were able to deliver this as a result. Um, we also had a gym before. We had a fitness center before, and it was tired. It was old, um, not very inspirational. Kind of the same people been going there, the, uh, you know, all this time, not really getting new members. And uh, we knew we had to do something there. So again, partnering with HR, talking about our real well-being strategy, other ways to sell this, and why this is important. Taking some senior leaders over there that had never set foot in it. Um, to look at it and go, wow, this is looking pretty bad. Yeah, we need to do something and, you know, jumping on, you know, so, so creating the opportunity, you know, always, always selling, always, always figuring out, figuring out a way to convince people why something needs to be done. And we got a great new gym. It's called Uplift um, to bring, you know, an uplifting, uplifting part of your day, um, which is also Uplift is one of the core uh, DNA elements of our brand. So connected, the, even the name of the space, directly back to our brand, because uplifting refreshment is a, is, a, is a core piece of our uh, brand DNA. So, you know, and our, our employees said very clearly on engagement surveys and, and other conversations that they didn't feel like our campus reflected who we were. That you could walk in and it might as well be an insurance company or something else, and um, we really needed to work on that, so we did. <laughs> and this is a, um, I have to give Gensler credit here. Anybody from Gensler in the room? No. So they're, oh, yeah, good. All right, so you're, you're um, John Bricker's team in New York um, really, really gave us an amazing idea here. This is a, the world's largest flip disc board. These are 
8,400 dots that flip on, and it's runoff magnets. It is this world's simplest technology, um, but it, it does run off a playlist. We program it, and it makes the sound like a European train board flipping. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And so it goes up, that flipping sound, and we can change it at any time of the day. We can change a piece of it, a, you know, a small piece of it, a big piece of it. Um, and, you know, it can do all kind of things, day or night. Not, no, can't copy this. This is, this is a, <laughs> we want this to be unique to us. But um, it's, only, it's only red and white. It's red on one side, it's white on the other, and it's very simple. Um, but we can, you can, you know, animate things like for the Olympics, you can have a gymnast that kind of goes, ac flips across it. I mean, you just do all, it's endless what we can do with this. And so we used to have the day back here where people, you see the banners hung up. I mean, you know, not very interesting. Banners are stagnant. We really looked for things that had a lot of, had motion and sound because motion and sound create energy. So when you put motion and sound together, you always bring energy to space. And so that's what this did for us. Similarly, this was a 19, circa 1985 lobby of a 26-story tower. And, oh, just, just horrible. Um, had flags of the world around the perimeter of the, of the ceiling. We had these... Um, these um, tapestries that had been given to our chairman by a, a, uh, a dignitary that were very special. I still occasionally have an employee say, so what happened to the tapestries? I'm like, uh, they're in storage. That's it. They're in storage. Uh, <laughs> and so this became, um, gutted the whole thing out. Tapestries went away. Ceiling went away. Flags went away. And um, we, we built in these two uh, water walls. So the two big walls you see there are, um, are water, water that falls out of nozzles, almost like a landscape um, water irrigation system. They're programmed. And so very similar to the flip disk wall, we can, we can program them to be doing, having the same message or different messages. Um, at any point in time, and that waterfalls in the form of words and graphics. Um, they can spell things, they can have our logo, we can have basketballs when we're talking about the Final Four, um, whatever it might be, um, coming down, coming down in, in different, different colors, lights, and it's, it's um, so people love it. They work in this space, um, and they love the, the background of that noise. Um, you know, so the space is not this dead, quiet thing. The other thing, we, we piped music into all our common spaces and, and the restrooms. And people have said, you know, that my favorite thing of everything we've done is music in the restrooms. <laughs> Who would guess that? But it's been a big deal. We, we have a wide genre of music that we play. We mix it up all the time. Um, and I tell you, when you walk in in the morning, you might be having, worried about your day, you're gonna have a stressful day, or you're leaving at night, and, and, and you have this music everywhere in all the common spaces. It's in every hallway, it's in, uh, you know, not on work floors, except it's in, it's in the restrooms on work floors. And um, you walk in the restroom, it's like, mm -hmm. wow. So it's made a huge difference. Something that small has made a huge difference for us. So 
you know, this is back in, at, at Christmas time when we had Santa there, but, you know, you know, we really tried to carry the brand throughout all the space to really bring a sense of optimism every single day to people um, in all this common space and um, really engaging our people and our guests. We have about 400 guests a day on average that come to our campus for various reasons. And, um, it, you know, and the, and the other thing that we've seen with this is people now bring their families all the time and their kids. They're proud. They're proud to show where they work. That was not happening nearly the frequency it is now. And it's just great, you see, and they take pictures of the flip disc wall and they take pictures of the water wall and they pose with it and little kids stick their hands in it. And, and, but that's what we want. We want people to want to be at work. We want people, you know, people can work anywhere now, right? We got our laptops and our gizmos. We can work anywhere. We don't have to be at work to get our job done. But we believe that bringing people together um, does make a difference. It makes a difference from in innovation and in collaboration and in, in idea generation. We think it matters. And all, all of you may not work at places that, where they think it matters, but we do. And we want people to, to be here. Um, and we want people to want to be here, not because your boss has told you you have to be here. And so that's what we've tried to, tried to build. Um, so when we... So we've opened all that. We've got new work floors. We're still working on the 78. We don't have all 78 done. We're, we're, we're you know, going down that path. It's a lot of floors. And we have limited swing space. We did not go spend a dime leasing swing space. We made that decision very consciously and financial reasons. We're not going to go lease 30 floors somewhere. <coughs> And we are going to do this methodically, and, this, and, and we've had to be very creative to um, free up some floors of swing um, as we go. And, you know, we're doing about five floors at a time right now. And, you know, it, and it's really about as much disruption as I think the business can handle. I think, you know, if you do 10, 15, 20, that's massive disruption. So that's the pace where we are. Um, we're about to, about to and, we're, and we're opening a new floor about once a month. So that's, that's, a, that's a good clip. And I, and I can tell you from a change management standpoint, communication standpoint, I don't think I want any more than that or to go any faster than that because there's a lot of cats to herd every day when you're doing, dealing with this stuff. So January, we created this global workplace team. Uh, we, we did not use the word real estate and we... In the name of the team, we invented our own name of the team. We're calling it Global Workplace Strategy and Operations. I wanted the word strategy in the team because I wanted our leaders to understand we are strategists. We are not just wrench turners, right? Um, yes, we do all the operations work too, but, but I, I'm trying to, trying to get the mindset of, of who we are and how we want to position ourselves with key leaders in the world. And... Um, so, you know, what we're trying, we're trying to um, deliver hard P&L value and cost avoidance value every day to the business. Our team delivered um, several million dollars in value to the, to the business in our first startup year last year in 2016. We got high expectations every year to continue to do that. We're, we're on a big IFM expansion. We're, we're managing FM today in North America, Europe, and we will, um, this summer, we stand up all of Eurasia and Africa on our IFM program, which is a big leap 
for us. We got some other pockets of uh, India, some other, a couple other pockets we're looking at, and really trying to help all our leaders understand it's time to manage all of our real estate strategically and, and stop the madness of the 130 years of decentralization. You know, and, and we've got, you know, IT that's always had their loca had a location strategy, and our shared services organization had a location strategy, and our business units have a location strategy, and our Bobler Investment Group has a location strategy. Well, you put all that together, and you got a, you got, we've got some cities where we have three or four offices that we're paying operating cost on that could easily be in one space. But they all made these decisions separately. And so we've held up all these examples um, to say it's time to do something different. So we are, we are moving, moving in that direction. So I'm going to turn it over to Jeff to talk about where we're going from there. Okay. Wow. You know, sort of what a, a sort of an early journey, huh? And sort of what Julie was able to sort of talk about. So picking it up from here, what I want to do is I want to bring you a little bit behind the curtain a little bit of sort of where we're trying to go and some of the things and the conversations we're having, not only with our senior leaders within Atlanta, but also our senior leaders outside of Atlanta. And, you know, as Julie had mentioned, you saw sort of the journey and all this work that's been done downtown within our corporate headquarters, not only in the way that we sort of influenced, you know, and try to support our, our people population, but how do we start to create not only the real estate, but really sort of focus on the people, given, you know, we always hear about it being our sort of most important asset, you know, that we wind up having. And so with that, you know, so then what do we start to do? Well, one, what we did was to start to think about how do we start to uh, pursue sort of this global strategy? And again, putting some guiding principles around that, and you'll see, you know, managing our workplace as a strategic asset starting to bring that into the conversation rather than it just being there for the purposes that are in place. You're know, aligning it with the business. You know, some of the things that, that you typically see and hear when, when you know, we start to, to move forward. And this became a little bit of the framework that we started to do in, in driving sort of process and governance. You know, again, it starts with the Coca-Cola business. What is our business strategy? You know, as we start to look ahead, how do we align that with our talent and the, and the workforce and, and the talent that we need in order to do the work that we have? And then in return, how does that ultimately influence the strategies? You know, what it is that we wind up doing, the type of real estate that we need, where the real estate needs to be located, the type of space that we're, we're building, you know, in order to sort of support the kind of work that's being done in a number of these particular markets. So with that, you know, part of it was, as Julie described a minute ago, was how do we start to think about the value? The, the, and it being uh, holistic in, in its an entire sort of, sort of community. And that's where we started to think about this notion around sort of this roadmap to value, whether it's around strategy, whether it's around sort of the real estate, the actual assets that we wind up having, because in some markets it truly is a value. It really is sort of a cornerstone for some of these, these countries that we reside in, that they know they've got stability from the, the company that we sort of represent, the work and the employee population. How do we think, you know, earlier from the market, benchmarking, bringing some of that information into place, optimization efforts, because what we've seen over the years, people have grow and, grown and shrunk, but there's really not been a focus on really trying to find and create the right real estate solutions in order to support that. Again, as we think about then where we make those investments, and then ultimately we've got to maintain it. 
you know, as you start to think about sort of the facility management piece, you know, keeping the lights on, making sure it's, it's sort of, it's uh, serving its purpose for what it is that we were trying to do. So with that, you know, part of, of, you know, everybody I think is familiar with Coke, the brand, and sort of what it stands for. But as we started to get some momentum, we started having conversations, you know, with a number of different people. We said, you know, what is our brand? What is Global Workplace's brand? How do we go out when we're having a conversation with a number of different individuals that we can have a succinct message in the way that we deliver that? And so we came up with this. You know, we plan, design, build, and operate our workplaces to engage our people, drive business performance, spark innovation, bring our brands to life, and support the growth of Coca-Cola worldwide. And so that's really what we've sort of hung our banner on, you know, when we put our shingle out. We've done that. We've brought our teams to, together. We've used that in order to frame all our sort of the work, sort of our goals, whatever it is that we do within Global Workplace, we've sort of framed it around that particular moniker. Then you sort of say, what's our promise? What's our promise to our clients? We will inspire and refresh the people who encounter us in every setting. Now, keep in mind what Julie said a little bit ago. You know, our, a lot of our responsibility is beyond sort of what many of us would consider traditional real estate in what we've got going on. We've got a lot of amenities that we're responsible for. We deal a lot with hospitality and branding that's in place. We've got technology. So there are a number of things where we actually touch. We set the tone in, in how we sort of work and engage in supporting the various lines of businesses that are out there. Then our motto, everything you experience. So then again, if you think about it as a real estate, you know, the, the, the workplace that we're in as a manifestation of that. And then the last thing is how we work. When we began this organization, you know, last year, you know, we were a startup. We were something new where we took a number of different sort of groups that were within Coca-Cola and came together. And part of what we wanted to do was instill a culture, instill a mindset that it is a startup. Think about a startup. You know, you can break any rule, you know, that's out there. How do you start to create that notion of innovation, creativity? You know, there's, there's no suggestion that's wrong in, in what it is that's doing. You know, the notion, too, is how do we create that environment that's empowered so we can start to give our, our individuals, you know, some latitude to go out and make the decisions that they think is best to not only serve sort of our mission, our promise of what we just said a minute ago in concert with the work that we need to do. How do we think about, you know, again, we have to be focused. I mean, you know, Julie spoke to last year, the, 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 in the short amount of time, the success that we had and some of the results that we brought back, back you know, to the, the corporation. I mean, again, we're still being pressured on productivity saves. It doesn't matter what it is that we do, so we've got to be focused and deliberate in how we drive that. Again, inspired. How do we sort of, you know, sort of speak and, and believe in what it is that we're creating, you know, in the work that we do, the spaces that we create, and transparent. I mean, if you're going to be a startup, we've got to be able to have candid conversations. We've got to be able to sort of talk about one another. We've got to be able to talk about what's working and what's not working so that we can adjust as we need to as we move forward. And again, all that's sort of centered and governed around trust. I mean, and that was really a cornerstone because, again, if you recall with what Julie was saying a few minutes ago, a group resided in a number of different groups within Coca-Cola. So you're bringing everybody together, and now we're trying to sort of redefine who we are, what it is that we stand for, and what it is that we want to try to achieve. So with that, you know, what we did in order to sort of, sort of um, 
sort of put our framework around what we, um, how we were going to approach this so that we didn't necessarily go after it in one fell swoop, we created this notion around sort of three phases to value. And this is sort of what we've been socializing and working against that. The first was sort of what is our global value? I mean, you know, some of it, it might be um, implied. Some of it may be inherent in some of what it is that we do. But we have to be explicit, especially as we get out and start working with others so they truly know what the value is that we bring, bring to them in concert with the way that they're delivering and supporting their real estate today. And you sort of see some of the, the aspects attributed to that. I'll talk a minute about sort of the FM approach and using some of that information and then ultimately as we think about some of the strategic value. So as we talked about, if we started to think about what it is that we needed organizationally, this, we started to stand up, you know, sort of the group in order to support that. First was the program management office. I mean, again, we needed some structure and some discipline and a, and a focus in order to sort of keep us all honest. You know, how do we sort of manage to whatever deliverables and actions that we address? How do we do it with some level of consistency as we started to go beyond what was going on within the states, more specifically within Atlanta? Then you start to wrap that again a strategy. I mean, it's outside of that discipline, then how do we start to think more strategically about where it is and what it is that we want to do? And, you know, within that, that got into not only sort of setting the strategy from a standpoint of aligning with our businesses, but how do we create that enabling function, which is then the CRM, the relationship management component of this, and aligning and building those, those relationships out in the marketplace uh, and moving forward. Next is then, how do we start to execute against that? So whenever we come up with a, dis, uh, a solution, how do we start to apply some of the work that we've done in the past? Again, as we talked about, we started picking up the notion around hospitality and branding. How do we start to, the, the types of experience we have with our meetings, our AV systems, in the way that we supported our lines of businesses around events that they wound up having uh, within the, the headquarters environment, and we're now looking at uh, some opportunities globally. And then lastly, our global side services, which not only includes our FM, sort of facilities management component of what it is that we do, but another of the ancillary amenities that we provide, dining, you know, sort of transportation, print operations um, that's in place, records management in the way that we work. And that's really sort of centered around sort of this foundation, these four core tenets, as we start to talk about the value, engagement, you know, governance, the expertise, and then ultimately, you know, client satisfaction. I mean, you know, if, if, if we don't necessarily have the buy-in from them, then we're, we're not necessarily being as effective and we're not getting the kind of results, you know, that we're looking for. So then part of our strategy is once we sort of stood up this, this team, part of it is, is then how do, where do we go from here? You know, part of it's understanding our data and the information. Part of it's understanding sort of what the real estate and, and the approach that we're addressing. So as we do that, as Julie mentioned earlier, it, some of this is around an integrated facility management platform that we're starting to roll out across the globe and we're using it sort of twofold. One is in the way that we try to drive a consistent approach in the way that we maintain our facilities, but again, recognizing that there are cultural norms, different geographical differences that we have to be respectful of, but also it's to some degree a data and a knowledge play. Because the more we can, we can get access to the facility, the more we understand what's going on, we can bring that information in, in the way that, you know, those, those um, uh, 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 a lot of the, I hate to keep calling them data points, but the, um, a lot of the, uh, the operational aspects of it, 
understanding sort of what our commitments are by way of leases that are in it, what investments are being done from an infrastructure standpoint. If we start to understand that, then we can use that, if you will, to start to think more strategically about what we need to do with those assets and with our locations as we move forward. And again, you start to see a little bit of the, of the principles around what we're doing from an IFM standpoint. And again, sort of working you know, good for the Coca-Cola company, all the way to ultimately supporting the associates who really is driving our business and trying to sell more Coca-Cola in the markets that we wind up serving. So last, let's talk a minute about strategic and sort of the, the value opportunities that we're bringing forward with it. And so from that, one of the things that we've started to do is starting to take a look at our portfolio is how do we start to create sort of a series of, of filters and, uh, and priorities in the way that we address it. Right now, some of our opportunities is most with anybody, you know, that's managing real estate domestically or internationally is, again, we've got, you know, sort of contractual obligations that we're now sort of having to understand and how do we sort of start to rethink about what that longer term need is. We've got our facility operations, as we talked about, and it doesn't necessarily be all about the facility, as we've mentioned, as we think more about some of the amenities and the other ancillary services that we wind up providing. We've got optimization opportunities, you know, that we've talked about earlier. As we've gotten out there, we've seen where, you know, we're, it's just not being used to its fullest, you know, sort of capability and making adjustments with it. And then lastly, you know, taking advantage of sort of market conditions, you know, that are in place. From that, then we start to think about some of the filters in the way that we sort of look at those particular opportunities and how do we start to work with that from a, sort of our clients and our businesses and align it with the objectives that we've got going forward. And then the last piece is then how do we work sort of on a prioritization piece of that. So again, you know, is it critical to the business or is it, you know, really start to address our sort of our long-term notion? And this gets into sort of the basis, if you will, around some of our optimization efforts as we start to have sort of meaningful conversations. So you sit there and you can start to see a little bit of the distribution of, of where we are across the globe. Now, this is predominantly what you see here is administrative spaces. Right now, our scope of work is really centered around that. We're not around, you know, the bottler. We're not around, you know, some of the manufacturing sites. We do some work on the technical side or in, you know, research and development. But, but again, it's predominantly that. You know, who knows what, the, you know, what the um, story has in store down the road. But that's really what you're seeing sort of represented here. But again, given sort of that distribution, given sort of the work and the way we're trying to prioritize it, how do we get at that? So then that really became the basis in sort of the business case speaking to sort of a CRM function. You know, and we call our CRMs our relationship manager regional leaders. And so we've got the regional leaders aligned, one for the Americas, one for EMEA, and one for Asia Pacific. And those individuals are starting now because they just joined back in the September-ish time frame, are starting to build relationships with these senior leaders in these marketplaces in order to start to understand where their business is going in concert with, you know, starting to get better um, information on the real estate portfolio that they have and then being able to use that to start to help them drive awareness and also look at other opportunities as we go forward. In the couple of months that, that these individuals have been in place, I mean, here's a couple of little snippets. You know, they're coming out from some of those executives. Your expertise will help maximize value. We need your help so we can do our jobs and sell more product. So again, some of the, the kinds of words you'd like to see, which is great, but that only goes so far until we start to really deliver. You know, how do we start to really help them, you know, sort of impact the, the bottom line as we move forward? So again, that's sort of, you know, our journey to where we are, we still got a lot of work ahead of us, 
but we wanted to be able to sort of speak a little bit to you, you know, and, and bring some thoughts up on sort of, of how we've gotten to where we are. So a couple of closing, you know, sort of comments I would, I would put out there is, you know, continue to gain and, and sort of work with the C-suite. You know, how do you continue to foster it? You've talk, you heard Julie speak a little bit about some of the challenges she had in getting us to where we are today. It's still, we're having some challenges, but we're having to build some of these business cases and build the relationships. You know, commit to the stakeholder outreach. I mean, what I've learned at Coca-Cola, it's very relationship driven. And so there's a lot of conversations that wind up having that, you know, at some point you, you, you know, you, you, you ask yourself, why is it taking so long? But over time, it, it, it pays off. We, we've seen some of that that's played out. Be persistent, you know, sort of passionate and patient in the way that you do it. If you believe in it, then it'll come through. You'll be able to sort of sell and get, it, get at what you need to do and then stay the course. Con continue to stay with the commitment, but always be open to course correction. Again, if you go back to sort of what we talked about on a startup mentality, how do we start to sort of think about that so we can, again, adjust and flex as we need going forward? So, so thank you. Okay, th this is this is one of those programs where we wish we had ninety minutes, but uh, very good. And we we have maybe two minutes left. If there's any burning questions, also I don't know what your schedule is to get to the airport, but uh, perhaps yeah, people we could come. Yeah, we have planes at four. So okay, okay, so may, so you come up after the uh, yeah, we after got time. we yeah good. So any any questions for the group? In um, shared services, yes, which is about 1,400 people, um, it reports um, into the CFO. Mm -hmm. So shared, yeah, shared services organization today is about 1,400 people. Uh, we're, we're about to go through a, some, some, some other company restructure. We think shared services probably by the end of this year will become even larger. So we are, we are continuing to invest and put more into shared services. Yeah, one-to-one. One. One one. Yes. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of that common space looks like it's underutilized, at least the bank's perspective. Yeah, so, no, yeah. We don't think it's, under, we don't think it's underutilized. It's hard to get one seat for first, right? <laughs> so, we mean, how did we sell in a one-to-one -one seating ratio? Or you mean, how do we, or, or put, put in that many collaborative seats in? Well, you know, part of it was, and so the, what we count as collaborative seats are huddle rooms, focus, focus rooms, conference rooms, soft seating, all those count. Uh, break room seating, farm table seating, all those count up. And so we went straight back to employee surveys that said, we don't have places to come together. We don't have places to do our work. All we got is our desk or booking a conference room. And so, you know, once we started building two or three floors, it became real. I mean, our huddle rooms are full. We're doing one to 10 ratio on huddles and focus. They are full all the time. So it, it became obvious very quickly, it is not overbuilt. Were you implementing a mobile or alternative workplace strategy work from home at the same time? No, our, our, we are not no. trying to promote big work from home. Consciously not trying to promote it. I mean, it, 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 there are people in our company, I mean, so, yeah, there's a lot of people in the company that might work at home once a day, but we are not on a path to say we want 50% of our workforce working at home. Not at all. Okay, I think we can take one more question.
We did. We do all our programming in-house. We learned that um, as much as I love many of you in the industry and the vendor side, that we know our business better than you do. And, um, uh, you know, the, the number one, our people being receptive to an outside company coming in that they don't know and opening up and really having the right programming conversation was tough. So we, um, we have two full-time programmers, and right now we even put one on a plane to, to Johannesburg. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out this global model. We can't always put them on a plane. It's expensive. Um, but we've got a pretty well set process now that we think we can duplicate with some others. But, um, yeah, we're doing it all ourselves. Okay, Homegrown. We we do like to respect everyone's schedule, so yep. we're, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, uh, Julie and Jeff. Please come back and see us again. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Okay. And uh, thank you all again. Please fill out your surveys, and we'll see you on April the 13th.